So today is going to be something a little bit different, but I'm, I am so happy to be back. <laughs> I get it. I was just like, that's it. We're starting. Like, whatever. Even if I'm not prepared. Brain stimulate. Uh, yeah. Like, maybe if I start, it'll happen, you know? Okay. Um, so that, right. Exactly. It will be a surprise. Whatever happens today will be a surprise. But there is some material upon which to base our surprise. So this handout is from... It's actually several sections, but I've marked off parts. I'm not going to read the whole thing, and I thought we could, I, we're actually going to read it together, um, which shows you something about how my preparation was going. Um, about, it's technically, it's Rav Hirsch, I, I think it's actually from the collected writings of Rav Hirsch. I saw at least parts of this article um, in Judaism Eternal, which is, I think, an earlier version of the collected writings. So I think that's where it's from. Where I took it out of was this book called Moadim Perspectives, which basically takes like di- the different times of the year. It starts with Rav Hirsch and then adds Rav Breuer um, and Rav Breuer. I guess it doesn't have Rav Schwab in this one. So they, it kind of continues the line of German-Jewish thought on the Chagim, but it's all based on Rav Hirsch. So they'll put Rav Hirsch, but then they have more kind of building on that. So this is Rav Hirsch from the Moadim Perspectives where they, where they put it in. Move down the side, but I have some other points. So I think that the question that I'm going to use to tie it together, um, I mean, this says Sivan, and we just started ER, but the question really is about Sfiras HaOmer. <coughs> and Sfiras HaOmer connects Pesach to Shavuos. Okay. Now there's an interesting thing which, if it never occurred to you, is kind of striking which is, what is the big mitzvah of Pesach is Sipor Yitzias Mitzrayim. So Sipor means to tell the story, right? L'saper, to tell it over. So Sipor Yitzias Mitzrayim is telling the story of Yitzias Mitzrayim. And I'm using the word story intentionally and then hearing myself and saying, ooh, that makes it sound like it could almost be, you know, God forbid, like a legend. It's a, it's a, the true story. <laughs> um, but I'm using that word on purpose, and you'll see why later. So what's the mitzvah then of getting to Shavuos? It's usfartem lachem, counting. Except that really that's the same word, mm-hmm. right? Sphira, which is the counting, is kind of the same word as sipur, which is the retelling. So not only does Sfiras HaOmer connect Pesach to Shavuos, but it's almost like you're continuing the same process that you started on Pesach. So why? Like, what is that connection? What, what, what is the same about Sipor and Sfira? And what would we... It's the same root, right. So what, that means that conceptually it's somehow the same. So what is it that we can take from finding that common word and a common root to help us understand the avoda of Sirasa Omer. And also telling us also it's called Right. In, in English it works too. Right. To recount and to count. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah? Yeah, that actually... Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So, oh, that would have been cool to bring this from Ban. But that's okay. Well, also one of the the 
So the more you talk about that, the more praiseworthy with Sriyat HaOmer every day there's a specific is its own thing right so it's a more discreet like a yeah okay that's true so that would be a difference um, there's another another aspect here that might help inform us in some way so you've probably heard this idea that Sukkot is seven days and Pesach is seven days and because of the way the Torah describes those two holidays in the Pesukim so we learn from it's called Gezer Shava. Because means a halacha that is learned out because of the equality, like the, the common terminology that's used. So we learn back and forth from Sukkot to Pesach different halachos about the seven days. What's, what's required on only one day, what's required all seven days, things like that. And Sukkot has atzeres. There's an eighth day that follows. Now, that, what do we call that day? Shemini atzeres. And you've probably heard Shiram where people talked about how Pesach also has an Atzeres. The Atzeres of Pesach is Shavuos. It's just delayed. You have this gap in the middle. You have that, that 49-day gap, and it's on the 50th day, but it's really the 8th day of Pesach. Okay. Uh, I think we may have touched on this point before in another context. I don't know. Shmini Atzeres means eighth. Now, we know this because women like candles, right? When you like candles on Shmini Atzeres, you say Shehechianu, which you didn't say on the seventh day of Sukkot because it wasn't the first. Like, it, it wasn't a Shehechianu. You'd already been having Sukkot for seven days. But on the eighth day, you say Shehechianu. Why? Because Shmini Atzeres is a different holiday. It's not Sukkot. You really notice that in Israel. Because in Israel, you don't sit in the sukkah, you don't sleep in the sukkah. is over. Here, because the first day of Shemitah Yatzeres is still carries some of the kedusha of the seventh day of sukkah into it. It's like the second day of the seventh day of sukkah. So you still eat in the sukkah, even though you don't sleep in the sukkah. And since a lot of us don't sleep in the sukkah, anyway, we don't really notice. So... You don't make a bracha leshev basuka because it isn't sukkah. It's really shmita, but it, it blurs it a little bit. Okay. But really, Hoshana Rabbah is the seventh day of sukkah, and that's over. Okay, so if so, then why is it called eighth? Why is it called shmini ateras? Eighth means it's the eighth in a series. That would mean you start with one and you include two, three, four, five, six, seven. You get to eight. But the whole point, like halachically, is that shmini ateras is a separate holiday. <laughs> if anything, it should be called first or one or something. I wouldn't call it. Okay. And in fact, when it comes to Sirius Omer, we count, we have a seven day holiday, but we count seven sets of sevens, right? And we start counting on a day that the Torah calls me Mocharas Hashabbos. The morrow of the Shabbos, which, I mean, is an odd terminology. For Shavuos. To get to to start counting towards Shavuos, the first day of Sirius Omer, is begun on Machras Hashabbos, the morrow, the tomorrow, like Machar, the tomorrow of the Shabbos, the day after Shabbos. Now, the way we usually hear about this is because historically, there was this was one of the big battlegrounds between. The like Sadukim and the people who would not accept rabbinic 
law, which meant, by the way, not accepting Masorah. People who didn't accept Masorah, they accepted the Torah. Now, you can't really accept the Torah without Masorah, because how do you even have a Torah? Because somebody copied down the Torah from the one before, right? So that's also Masorah, right? But anyway, nobody said their philosophy totally made sense, because if it did, it would be right, which it isn't. Okay, but anyway, they did not accept Masorah, and they said, by the way, the policy with, with Tzedukim, Kra'im, they later came to be called, Kra'im, meaning like a textualists, okay, was that every person could interpret for themselves. They do not even all keep the halachas the same way. Yeah, it was very much a subject to your own interpretation. Although they were very religious, there were very religious crime. They just had this philosophy, and people moved back and forth. Okay. Meaning, there were people who were crime who then rejoined normal Judaism, and that was fine. People what married each other. Be that way, like what would be the separation? Mostly, it's really a rebellion. Meaning, I don't like being told what to do. It's usually a cop out. You know, they don't want to do everything that they're being. Told. Right. Okay. So for some, it was that, but crime right. could be very religious. So then it was more. I think, don't tell me what to do. Now listen to God. I just won't listen to you. But they were more that they didn't believe in the rabbinic. Right, in any interpretation, but it wasn't only interpretation, it includes Masorah. Oh. Meaning things handed down. Okay, from Harsinai. So that it's not only like new interpretation or new halachos or gazeras that were instituted by Chazal. Okay, so they wanted, and this is an example of that, they said, well, it says, Mimachras Hashabos. It says Shabbos. So Sirius Omer should always start on a Sunday. Sirius, okay. Which, I mean, you could start Sirius Omer on a Sunday, but it's always the day after the first Yontif day of Pesach. Now, one way, I mean, just simply in Torah, Hashabbos, the Shabbos, is different from Shabbos as a generic term for the seventh day of the week. So it's Mimachras Hashabbos, and the Shabbos is, uh, there's other times when holidays are called a Shabbos. Because it means you're, you're Shabbos from Malacha, right? La Hashabis is like to set it, to let it sit. You're not doing the Malacha. Okay. But that was a constant point. That's what we hear about. But I think what we don't ask all the time is, so how come? So why did, what is the Torah, yes, teaching us from using this phrase? Because of this historical debate that went on between the crime and mainstream Judaism, we all know what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean Sunday, that you have to count on a Sunday. It means you have to count the day after payment. How come the Torah used this term at all? What's the significance of Sphira Saomer being a process that starts the day after the Shabbos? Not, not Shabbos, but the, uh-huh. the day that was a Yontif day. Right? Because then you have Cholomoed after. What is the significance of that? Right? Pesach only has one day that's in the Shabboson kind of category. And the rest of the days you can do Malacha. So it must, it, it must be... Is it like a separating between that day and the beginning of counting the Omer? I would say it's the opposite of a separating. It's a connector. That in the same way you have, it's, I think it's the same question as how come Shemini Atzeris is called Shemini. If it's a separate holiday and it's the day after, why is it the 8th? By calling it the 8th, you're, telling, you're, tell, you're being told that it is also a connection to the seven days before it. And yet it's a separate day. But that's and here also, it's Mimachras HaShabbos. It's the morrow. It's being defined by the day before. And Shabbos is seven and one is eight. Right. I, I don't know. I don't see it as a, as a connector only because 
I mean, I guess you're thinking, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start counting, and that's what makes it count. No, what's, connect, what's making it connect is you're defining this day, which is the first day of Sirius HaOmer, in yeah. terms of the day before. Mm-hmm. So the okay. fact that you're defining it in terms, in the same way they're calling Shemini Atzeres, the eighth, is defining it now in terms of the seven days before, even though it's a separate day. And Sphiris Omer is a separate mitzvah. Now I'm noticing Wait. the word separate is also separate. the same. <laughs> but it also does say Creepy, whenever huh? Hashem tells <coughs> to keep a moed or a chag, it's always usfartem lachem. It is? Yeah, because it says you should count eight days, you should count seven Sometimes days. Sometimes you count. count. Not, I mean, a lot of times you don't count. It, when it tells you don't count that, 14 days to Pesach. No, but when it says that you're going to sit in the sukkah, it says, it says, it gives you the count. Of yeah, you, have, you can have counting also. Mm-hmm. Meaning you have counting in all kinds of things. You have counting for different kinds of tumah. You have counting for anita. You count, there's a lot of times you count. I'm not saying counting is unique, Right. It was just this kind of striking connection that here we have the Omer, that's Sphira, counting, following Pesach, which is a Sipur. That was my kind of starting question. And then I was just kind of linking on and saying there's this other interesting issue, right, which is that Shavuos is kind of the eighth day of Pesach, in the same way that Atzeres is the eighth day of Sukkot. And there's something funny about that eighthness, which is that in some way you get to that number eight by being connected to what was before it, and yet it's separate. We don't say that Shavuos is the eighth day of Pesach. Like, it's not actually part of Pesach. We don't eat matzah on Shavuos. We don't like. We don't say Chag Hamatzah. It's not really part of. You know, we're just saying it has like in the same way that Shemini Atzeres is the eighth day of Sukkot, which, by the way, it isn't a day of Sukkot. It's not. So in the same way, Shavuos is the eighth day of Pesach. It isn't a day of Pesach, and in both cases that we have this concept where it's in some way it's not what came before and in another way it's not what came before but it's defined by what came before so it's dependent on it as you said before a separation and a connection so maybe yeah. a lot of times we have like the juxtaposition but it's also it's maktish <coughs> that particular element of time maybe yeah okay so let's let's pick up and let's see where this will take us those were the kind of the questions that I wanted to introduce with all right so we're not starting on the first page. I gave you the first page out of the kindness of my heart because it's really frustrating when you get something and you have no context. So you are welcome to look at it separately on your own time. Um, I see that I did not, not all the markings, though, got so clearly into the, into the thing. So we're starting at, there's this little line that's barely showing between the word men and he on the left. That, that's why I opened the book, because I realized my, my marks didn't show so well. Okay. So we're starting by in the middle of that line, for by religion. Okay. For by religion, we understand the conception. I just realized my notes are here. <laughs> There's nothing like using a text to make me forget that I actually did make notes. Like, all right. <coughs> for by religion, so he's talking about what it, how the word religion is used. And his case is that you can't use the term religion really to refer to Judaism. You know, when you talk about religions of the world, Judaism is not a religion. And, and he's explaining why, and we're kind of jumping into the middle of that conversation. By religion, we understand the conception which men have formed and are still forming of a godhead and their relationship to this godhead. 
In other words, religion is a concept that people in a culture may have developed on their own. Right? He gives examples, a heathen who prays to a fetish, like an idol. An aborigine who makes a god out of honey dough and paints it with human blood. I don't know what BBC he was watching. Like, you know, but clearly there were all, there's all kinds of like strange cults out there. Okay? There's all kinds of cults out there that are created and we they're called religions. Okay? So the religion then is something that comes out of the human being where he's seeking to understand what the force is that runs the world. He calls that the Godhead, because he doesn't want to dignify it with the name God, because there's only one God, right? But, but the sort of power that is at the head of things as the person conceptualizes it, and how they relate to it. The religions of mankind are therefore human products, creations of the mind and spirit of man. And there exists, consequently, a genesis, a history of the development of religion and religions, just as there exists a history of languages, arts, and sciences. These are all something you could study. The religion of a people rises and falls together with the other manifestations of its culture. Okay, so nowadays, Greek gods, unless, you know, I, I would warn you against letting your kids read Percy Jackson, for, partly for this reason, because Greek gods are long gone. There's no need to bring them back into our society now. Okay. They come and go with the, with the culture. Religion is only part of the cultural life of a nation and is conditioned by it. The more rational and the more refined men are, the more rational and elevated will be their conception of the deity and their relationship to it. No religion can, therefore, in its beginning, rise above the cultural level of the nation out of whose midst it arose. No religion in its inception can possibly be in complete contrast to the conceptions, inclinations, and outlook on life of the nation, of that nation. No religion in the ordinary meaning of this word can easily undertake to raise and educate the nation from which it sprang up to its own higher standards. For it, the religion is but a plant sprung from the spiritual and intellectual soil of that nation and must therefore keep pace with the nation's advancement or retrogression. That is an astonishing insight. Such a, a religion, a religion <laughs> that, is cre- that springs from the minds of people in a particular time, place, culture cannot elevate them beyond where they already are. Why? Because it's a product of where they already are. That's really quite awesome. The Torah, however, did not spring from the breast of mortal man. It is the message of God of heaven and earth to man. And it was from the very beginning so high above the cultural level of the people to which it was given that during the 3,000 years of its existence, there was never a time yet during which Israel was quite abreast of the Torah, when the Torah could be said to have been completely translated into practice. It's so far above us that we could never yet say that we've got it perfectly right. And that's because it comes from a place higher than us. Do you realize what an interesting, you know, we've spoken from many different angles about life means imperfection, and that's part of being human, right? But you realize, like, this is is another piece of that, which is that, yeah, by definition, in this stage of Olam Hazet, like, yeah, that's, that's the nature of an infinite Torah coming from somewhere above us, not from us. The Torah is rather the highest aim, meaning rather than being something we are teaching coming from ourselves, the Torah comes from above us. It is the highest aim, the ultimate goal towards which the Jewish nation was to be guided through all its faded wanderings among the nations of the world. 
So we've got this beacon of light that we keep following through this forest, right? We get closer and closer, it gets brighter and brighter. If we fall back, it's going to be harder to see. This imperfection of the Jewish people and its need of education is presupposed. That means God knew it all along. This is not a surprise failure. And it is clearly expressed in the Torah from the very beginning. There is therefore no stronger evidence for the divine origin and uniqueness of the Torah than the continuous backsliding, the continuous rebellion against it on the part of the Jewish people whose first generation perished because of this very rebellion. Talk about an encouraging way to think about the failures. (laughs) But the Torah has outlived all the generations of Israel and is still awaiting that coming age which at the end of days will be fully ripe for it. Thus the Torah manifests from the very beginning its superhuman origin. It has no development and no history. It is rather the people of the Torah which has a history. And this history is nothing else but its continuous training and striving to rise to the unchangeable eternal height on which the Torah is set. This Torah that has nothing in common with what is commonly called religion. How hopelessly false is it therefore to call this Torah religion and thus drag it by this name into the circle of other phenomena in the history of human civilization to which it does not belong. This is a fundamentally wrong starting point, and it is small wonder that it gives rise to questions such as the following. So far as Torah is concerned, you want Judaism to remain the same forever? Refresh is very modern, right? All religions rejuvenate themselves and advance with the progress of the nations. Only the Jewish religion wants to remain rigid, always the same, and refuses to yield to the views of an enlightened age. Okay, so this kind of complaint that it needs to be moved into the modern times makes no sense in the context of Torah, which is not time-bound and is not a product of the time and development and culture. These questions would have sense and meaning if the Torah were the, quote, religion of the Jews, i.e. the conception which the Jews of a certain epoch had of God and the relationship of man to God. They are, however, meaningless and futile because the Torah is the unique eternal message of the unique and eternal God of heaven and earth. It is not based on the ideas which the Jews once upon a time had of God and their relations to him, but on those which they should have at all times according to the will of this one and eternal God. Okay, that's section when, when one. When was this book written? Well, the book, Rav Hirsch lived in like around 1850. No, I, it's just amazing to me that... He's talking to changed. us now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now he is the beginning of the modern era, yeah. but he, he talks so... Dry, like when he talks about the problems of youth, you're like... We thought this was new. Yeah. This has been going on clearly for 150 years or more. Like, because he's talking about the same problems. Okay, now we're moving on page 187, which is just the facing page. I've got a bra- I don't know. Yeah, the bracket is there. Okay. Religion in general. So I hope there won't be too many gaps, but it was clear we're not going to read all of this article. Religion in general relates to the thoughts of man, which find their expression in symbolic actions. In any system of religion, therefore, the thought is the original, important, and essential element, while the external, symbolical expression of it is of secondary importance. Okay, so what did he say over here? This is an important point. This is a new, new section over here. He says, in a religion, which we now know mean, does not include Torah, in a religion, there's a concept, and that's the main thing, the thought. It's the thought that counts. And there may be an action, there may be a ceremony, Right, some sort of reenactment, an offering, but that's just a symbol of the thought, and therefore it's of secondary importance. It's not as important as the thought behind it. But unlike religion, the Torah is not the thought of man, but the thought of God. 
expressed in divine laws, which are to be carried out by man as symbolic actions. Okay, so when when some aborigine, right, creates a little voodoo doll, that's an expression of their thought. But when I do a mitzvah, it's not an expression of my thought. It's an expression of God's thought. That's different. Okay. And that has implications. There are consequences, including halakhic ones, that come out from that. It is by these symbolic actions ordained in the Torah that the divine thought is first implanted in man. How do Hashem's thoughts come into my mind and heart so that I have those thoughts? And on some smaller level, obviously. I'm not thinking God's, you know. But Hashem has an idea that he wishes for me to have in my mind, to feel in my own feelings. That is planted in me through the mitzvahs, through the actions of the Torah. That's the opposite direction, right? The, the cult with its fetish or its ceremony, the person has the thought and expresses it in the action. Over here, so the thought comes first and the action follows. Over here, Hashem has the thought, the action follows in me, and the thought follows the action in me. In, within me, the thought follows the action. Doesn't, doesn't predate the action, it follows it. It's a result of the action, not the cause of the action. The symbolic action, meaning the mitzvah, the maise mitzvah, so funny how you turn to maise mitzvah and you sound like from, you say symbolic action and I don't know what you sound like, right? It's all, <laughs> it's all cultural. The symbolic action is therefore of primary importance. It is the most important element in the Chumash. The Torah is therefore a divine document, the authentic form of which must be kept and preserved with scrupulous accuracy so that man should be able to study and assimilate the divine thoughts contained in it. And he goes on, very interesting, to talk about examples of how this plays out. As an example, he says, if someone would deny God with their words, that's obviously a very bad thing, but they didn't necessarily do an avera for which they would be, like, punished. Like, people's thoughts thoughts are holding in different places but if a person if that person still keeps Shabbos their actions are testifying to God okay because God said keep Shabbos so the act of keeping Shabbos is what then helps to implant the concept of the testimony of God within my mind okay so we're going to turn a couple pages and it's the next it's really the next page at the top of page 190 So we're jumping again. Nothing could be more senseless than to apply the name theology to the Torah, than to call the Torah theology or even Jewish theology. You know that I got, I I must have told you this story about how I bought my two volumes of Judaism Eternal on eBay as used books, it's out of print. And when they came, there was a book plate inside one of the volumes that said it was from one of the dormitories, the library of a dormitory of the Jewish Theological Seminary. And I opened it up and the first essay I read had this whole this whole passage on how senseless it is to call the Torah <laughs> theology or Jewish theology. And it's in the front it says Jewish Theological Seminary. Yes. And I was like, yeah, probably no one read this and that's why they're finally selling it. Because <laughs> So I felt really uncomfortable well, with that book plate. <laughs> I felt really, really uncomfortable about that book plate in there. Like, what, I need something from like this conservative place, you know. Then I just decided to make a note referencing Rav Hirsch's opinion about, you know, 
this kind of thing. Well, I thought that's that would American. It's a conservative rabbinic. Yeah, American construct. Yeah. That well, it's separate. not an American construct, right? He's talking, but it's, it's it's from the reform bit. movement. Yeah, it's, it's the reform movement. It was this the idea that somehow science was better than Torah, and therefore, if you could talk about Torah in terms of science, you could give it validity and legitimacy, which was, in other words, a way of saying I'm very insecure about my own religion. I want to be more like, I want to be more like the non-Jews and have their stamp of approval. That's really what it is. Well, okay, that's also the but that's modern, not what he his argument is. Train of Torah it can be. Yeah, it doesn't have to be, but it can be. And it all, that all depends on where the person is holding. For whilst theology contains the thoughts of men, man on God and things divine, the Torah contains the thoughts of God on man and things human. There is little said in the Torah which refers directly to God and things divine, and of the inner senses of the Godhead and the supernatural we find in the Torah nothing at all. The Torah rather tells us what God is to us, to the universe as a whole and to every part of it, Above all, what the universe, the earth, mankind, Israel, and every individual Israelite mean to God, the ruler of them all. The Torah tells us how we should regulate, develop, and perfect our intellectual, spiritual, physical, domestic, and social relationships on earth. How to sanctify our existence as well as all our endeavors on earth so that the divine glory may abide in our midst during existence here and our happiness need not be deferred to the life beyond. Meaning we could have happiness in this world. Not a happiness of perfection, necessarily a happiness of bringing divine glory into the world through our actions when our actions are the expression of divine thought okay i just want to focus you here on what he's done over among many other things because it's torah so there's a lot of angles here what he's done is he said what's the main thing to us as those who study and learn torah because we don't know anything about hashem himself the torah doesn't tell us that the Torah focuses us on what it means to us here on earth and our actions on earth. That's where our focus is. Right? We've talked about this in the past. It's not about bringing heaven down here. It's about elevating earth up. Right? It's the Mizbeach, the elevation of the Mizbeach. It is this conception of man and human affairs which the Torah reveals to us. It addresses itself to everyone. It speaks of one's most intimate affairs. The Torah does not want to tell us how things look in heaven, but how they should look in our hearts and homes. And therefore it counts on everyone and expects everyone to come to the Torah and draw wisdom from it by day and by night. Thus the Torah does not know of theologians and laymen. It rather knows like a distinction between the clergy and laypeople. It rather knows a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, Right? We're not ranked. Everyone can be, not a Kohen, but everyone can be a Kohen in a sense. <coughs> it says to everyone, this commandment which I command you this day is not too hard for you, neither far off, but in your mouth and your heart you may do it. <coughs> I really wanted to, I, they were getting like, it's taking me too long. Um, let's, let's skip the beginning of the next passage and go to page 192. There's let me just see, three, three, six, nine, like 11 lines down. Well, let me summarize this one, okay? He's talking about shuls, meaning the place we gather to daven, and how the tefillah in, is not really, it's directed to Hashem, but it's called lehis palel. It's a reflexive, it's to focus on yourself. I didn't want to skip this just because it's davening shir, but... 
like it's not the main theme of what we're doing today okay to recreate for you and again a conception of yourself your destiny and your relationship to Hashem it's finding yourself again when you daven so that so that you're ready to go back out into the world so it's again that focus on the, taking it with you out into the mundane daily actions not a focus on achieving higher and higher planes of philosophical inspiration. The inspiration is achieved through the actions of the mitzvahs, through the mice and mitzvahs themselves. Contemplating them helps. Nobody, he's not saying that kavana doesn't count. Right? Obviously, if you do a mitzvah with, with thought versus without thought, it's a whole different life for the mitzvah. But it comes through, the starting point is the mitzvah. Okay. Page 195. Where's the bit about? One second. I just, I missed something here. He has this whole section on the sevens. Maybe I didn't copy it. I just like this line. One forgot that either the Torah knows no worship at all or its worship comprises the whole of life. There's no halfway. We already started with the founding point that we're not perfect. It's a question of the commitment. There's no halfway commitment in Torah because either your life is dedicated to serving God or it's not, right? It's not, you don't call it committed and dedicated to serving God if you say, well, for certain times I'm dedicated to him and at other times I'm my own man. And then in other words, you're not committed to totally serving Hashem, right? Like, okay. Oh, I didn't. Oh. I didn't realize. Okay, I missed this whole bit, which introduces us to where we're going. All right, so I don't have the lines for you, and I'm just going to have to read it because I didn't realize that I went so far. All right. The generation which belittles the Torah of its God and the institutions of its forefathers would need seven times seven purifications and transferring. You hear, you hear where he's something to do with Omer here, clearly, right? Because he doesn't just throw stuff out. Could you repeat the, the what? The generation which belittles the Torah of its God and the institutions of its forefathers would need seven times seven purifications and transformations before it could be in a condition to reach the height to which Torah and those institutions call it. Which, if we read it sort of backwards, means there are seven times seven purifications that bring a person to the height of being able to be drawn toward into Torah and Masora. Right? Like the levels they talk about too, right? The seven, the, right. yeah, chesed, gvura, nefach. Okay, it's a process. Whenever the Torah deals with a transition from a lower to a higher standard of morality, from a primitive raw condition to an advanced state of purity and holiness, kedusha we find that the primitive stage is always made to pass through a sevenfold cycle of time before the higher stage of moral freedom, purity, and dedication begins. Thus, an animal is only considered capable of being offered as a sacrifice seven days after its mother. A child can only be initiated into the covenant of Abraham after seven days. Those who have become tame and pure can re-enter the pure precincts of the sanctuary and pure married life only after seven days. The liberated Jewish nation, however, had to pass through a period of seven times seven days before they could dare to look to the heights on which the Torah was enthroned. 
And when they had settled in the Holy Land, they had to count again seven times seven days from the moment the sickle was put to the corn until the celebration of the festival of Torah. Before they were considered mature enough to receive the full content of the Torah, they had to stand a test of sevenfold self-scrutiny, trial, and purification. So a cycle of seven in time is one full cycle of Kedusha, meaning you start on day one, and by the time you've gotten through the end of day seven, you should have achieved Kedusha. You should have somehow achieved a new level of morality through the cycle. That's what a seven is for. And if it's a really intense issue, then you might have a seven times seven. That would be like kind of an, a squaring of the seven, right? Even more seven than the seven. More sevenness going on. Which means, what happens if you have a seven times seven cycle? So you have the first week of the Omer, right? <clears throat> and then you get to the first day of the next week of the Omer. Are you back at day one? No. You're not, right? Because although a cycle brings you back to one, since a cycle, hopefully you're at a new level of morality. You just had a lot farther to go, so you have to do it seven times. So day one has two qualities to it. Well, no, the day one is day one. But day eight has two qualities to it. It's the first day of the next week, but it's also the eighth day of the previous week. And we have examples like that in Torah. Other, other places were examples. Like the first year after a Shemitah year is called the eighth year and is called the first year. Okay, because it's two things going on. This, by the way, answers a different question. We count the days of the Omer as soon as the day begins, which is at night, right? As soon as it's dark enough, we count Omer. You can count later, but that's the best. We count the weeks at the end of the week. Eight, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, that's a whole week. But I can count the day. I can say this is the first day, even before I've done anything with it. Okay, It's sort of the same thing, because a week is a product of what's gone into it. Whereas the individual day stands on its own starting from the beginning. That's the work of the day. There's something about that culmination and wrapping up that, makes, that gives the power to the cycle of a seven to elevate with Kedusha. Is that at the end of it, have you gotten to a new level? You don't have to have. You could, could just come back around again. So this is part of that question, right? How come we don't count down, right? 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, blast off. Much more dramatic. Plus, you know where it ends. When you count up one, two, three, I don't, I don't know, is this a 200-day count, a 50-day count? I don't know. Okay? But when you count up, what you're showing is that you're building. It's day three because there was a day one and a day two. Mm-hmm. Just like it's day eight because there was one through seven. By the way, the ultimate expression of eightness is not the number eight. It's seven plus one. Right? We've had Az Yashir Moshe. Az. It looks to the future. It's an Aleph and a Zion. A one and a seven. One seven together is really what eight means. It's the one with the seven. Okay. <clears throat> so this is the concept. This is the concept of the Kedusha. I feel, okay, we'll have to Xerox this and, and send it because this was like the culmination over here. Shavuos presents Torah not as something which we have already achieved, but as a high and everlasting aim. 
It calls on us, Shiva Shavuos Tispor Lecha, count seven weeks, right? You've got to count the sevens and the sevens because it's an aspiration, it's a goal. Counting means it's a process. Seven describes a process. So seven times seven, it means we're aiming to get higher and higher. And the nature of that aiming to get higher and higher starts with being really well grounded at the bottom. It doesn't, it's not that we're going to leap up and like Shavuos and God is talking to us from heaven. It's that we start with like we're slaves. And we're going to build up and up to get to where we can look up to the Torah and keep aspiring to it. That's the process of the Omer. Okay. That was that, and that was the main thing, and it did, in fact, fill the time as I had originally thought it would. But I really had some other points I wanted to make that build out on this and I think help turn it in for, my, for me something where I could take away a piece of avoda for my Omer. All right. So one of those points, not strictly speaking in order, the Maharal, Nagur Aryeh. He says, Yom Hashmini. And Rashi says, what's Hashmini? The eighth day. The eighth day of the Miluim. The, the dedication of the Mishkan was, was, it was the eighth day of that. Now that's odd, because the Miluim was a seven-day process. There were seven days of dedicating the Mishkan, not eight. So the eighth day then was a perfect example of what we're talking about, right? The first day after the seven. And yet... It's somehow qualitatively different because of the existence of the seven before. This helps us understand why Shemini Atzeres is called Shemini Atzeres, even though it's a separate holiday. Because there is something about it that depends on the seven days before. That's what makes it different. It's its own holiday because you went through a sukkus. Now you're elevated to a new kind of thing called Atzeres that you couldn't have reached before. That's the same concept of Shavuos being the Atzeres of Pesach. Pesach is a seven-day holiday, but then you've got a seven-by-seven seven cycle, and you're elevated to something that then becomes its eighth. Okay, So it is dependent on what came before, and yet it is independent and has its own identity. That's eight. Eight is a new identity based on the growth that went before it. You reached a whole new level. That's why the number eight is supernatural. Seven is the natural. Eight is a whole new level of existence, but you got to go through the seven to get there. The Jewish people are associated with eight. Our avoda is an avoda of eight and bris mila, eightness, Hanukkah, right? Whereas the world as a whole aspires mostly to seven, which is also good. Okay, but it's not eight. So the identity of eight is a new bria, and this is what the Maharal says. Maise Mishkan, hold on. The Maise Mishkan is described as, and it was on the eighth day, Havaya Bifne Atzma, a new quality of existence in and of itself. If the Torah tells you something is the eighth, it's telling you it has a whole new level of existence. Like a whole new existence of the world. It's like the world was created new. The world is not the same world after seven days of consecrating the Mishkan. This existence that came from the dedication of the Mishkan is, is elevated. It's up and above and beyond existence in the world as a whole. <coughs> I 
would point out that this brings us to a set of 50. And the Maharal is even talking about, he's commenting on there are 50, these 50 links in the Mishkan. We don't count the 50th day. We do seven times seven, which is 40. And then the 50 is like this 49. uber eight, uh, 49, sorry. And then 50 is this sort of uber eight-ness, right? That like caps the seven times seven. So 50 is kind of like the number eight in its nature. 50 is just a more intensified version of eight because it, it caps a seven, time, a seven by seven instead of just a seven. All right. The word 50 is kol, all which is right, 20 plus 30. And this is really more for a Shavuot shear, but the number 50 Uh is the word kol, kol. all, complete, like everything. Okay, because that's 20 plus 30. Got it. When God saw as kol asher asa, everything he had made in creation, it was tov me'od. The word kol, everything, I'm not going to go into detail now, means not just that which is good, it's everything, including the good and the bad, okay? Because the completeness of 50 is a harmony of competing forces. When you can have all different things, the good and the bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and pull it all together into one unified avoda, that's everything. And that's tov me'od, that's even better than tov. Right? Tov Ma'od includes Yetzirah, includes death. Right? That's Tov Ma'od. That's more. This idea of 7 times 7 bringing us to 50 means it includes the bad. That's what Rav Hirsch said, right? How do we get to Torah? This Torah, which is infinite, is through a, a process of a, human, of a nation of Jews that from the very first generation fell down. Through the imperfection and the struggle against it and the struggle to change and go through this process of elevating ourselves is how we get to this perfection of coal that includes the good, the bad, the ugly. It's all together. All right. And the way that we get there then is by the fact that we've fallen down and the fact that we go through a process from initiation to implementation of Hashem's will. This is the concept of Sfiras HaOmer, is the process, the importance of the process. And what is the process? It's that which takes you from imperfection to improved imperfection. Improvement. It's a process of improvement. All right, now think about, remember we started with Sipur to tell over and, and Sphira counting. This whole concept of counting means that the number doesn't just stand on its own. It is in context and relationship to the numbers before it and around it, right? It's, you, can't, you can't become who you're going to be without being who you've been. You can't get where you're going without being where you've been, Right? It's, it's the context. What does it mean, l'saper, to tell a story? There's a lot of things that happened in Mitzrayim and a lot of things that happened afterwards. There's a lot of things that go on in a person's life, and there's an art to knowing how to find the story. Art, that's art. I mean, it's the same thing. Where do you draw your... Where's the frame? How do you frame the image? How do you frame the story? Where's the beginning, the middle, and the end? Telling a story means looking at a huge number of events 
and understanding what are the relevant important points that will take you through the process to understand how you got from where you were to where you got to. Okay, that's what counting is. It's not just a number or a calculation. It's a series, one, two, three, it's a process. Right, and it's not just a passage of time, because for us, time means And that's the, right, and that is the Omer getting to 50. And I think for me, what I took away from that was that when I get to Matan Torah, what is that avoda? That's called Kabbalah's Malchus Shemayim, right? Accepting God's kingdom and God's rule. He's going to give me mitzvahs, and I'm going to say, I want them. I want to do your mitzvahs, and from now on, even if I don't want to do them, I want to do them, right? Because I want to do your mitzvahs. I want to be your servant. And that's not about being in the mood or not in the mood. And the way that that is expressed, the commitment to Torah and mitzvahs and Hashem is expressed through the mitzvahs themselves, through the action. So if I can find something very, very practical, and Rav Hirsch talks about this in terms of like, in our, right? What did he say? In our homes. It's like, it's not about changing the world out there. It's about changing the world in here. So if I can be a little more careful how I speak to people, if I can be a little more careful in what I'm eating, if I can be a little more careful in how I'm saying brachos, I mean, the actual actions, how am I lighting candles? How am I, if I can pick something very small and focus <coughs> on it, for 49 days. It doesn't have to be 49 different things even. I can be changed. And my day 49 will not be the same as my day 47 because the actions inspire the thought. The action inspires the thought. Not any old action because any old action it's my thought came first and inspired the action. But when it's a mitzvah, it's God's thought. What if you missed a bunch of days? Like, could you start? Isn't that the great thing about the Omer, though? That each day is its own mitzvah. You don't say the bracha. And you don't say the bracha because when there's a suffix with brachos, you don't say it. But the mitzvah is not the brachos. Right, but it's seven times seven, and it's supposed to be seven times seven. What if you only do it for... Then that's what you did. Yeah, I mean, we're not starting on day one. Right, but... Here we are. You could still elevate yourself. Seems like it, right? I mean, I think that's also why it's seven times seven weeks. Because each one is a unit, but they build on each other. Mm -hmm. Have we missed something? Yes. And in fact, that's the biggest loss. That is the biggest loss. You can't can't deny that. If you've missed out on a mitzvah, the biggest loss is the eternal loss of what you could have done in the mitzvah. I, I don't mean to minimize that. But at the same time, what does it help me to look back at that? It's behind me. Right. But also I can't go back three feel weeks. Like you're not able to continue because you're right. Not. So that's what I'm saying is we have to look forward because the point here is the process, and the point here is the change that happens in my heart and in my mind through the action. That is kind of a, one of the big messages of the avoda of Sfira is through the action. So if I can choose an action, no matter how small, it will make a real effect on the inside of me. And in fact, the smaller the better because it's easier to stick with it. But what when I want to do is action, you mean like an action of a mitzvah, a maisa mitzvah. It has to be an actual mitzvah. And if I can find an element of a mitzvah that I can do better for the next whatever it is, number of days till, you know, 30 whatever days till we get to Shavuos, then what I've done is I've concretized my commitment to Hashem and Torah. I've proven it. Because the proof is I did it. 
The proof is that I made that effort. It doesn't mean I won't stumble along the way because that's the nature of Surya Soul. That, that's literally built into the meaning of it, is that we were imperfect and we were developing. And that is what the Omer is. But if I, can, if I can make that commitment in there, then I'm demonstrating it tangibly and it will also have an effect inside of me. It will help to integrate Hashem's thoughts for me into me. Thank Good to see so you all. Much. Thank you. Lots of things about it. Yeah. Oh. Sorry. I, I will try and remember to, to scan all of these in, including that last bit, so that I can share it back to you. It's also Thank interesting you. that when Thank we you. count, we're, it's, we're not just saying the number, but then we're saying how many cycles, or seven. Right. So that we really, like... Right, that each week completes at the right. end, so that's built from what happened, and each day goes forward from what's behind it. Like, right, right. It's, uh, it's two weeks and one day, so we're that much further into the process. Yeah. Um, it's very much that idea of eight, except we don't, with Sirius Omer, because it's seven by seven, we don't get to yeah. the eight until 50. Right, right, right. But it is, that, it is using that same power where it becomes three weeks and one day, three weeks and two days, right? So you know where you have this idea also? Oh, this is what I meant to say. Sorry. Remember I said, why is the Torah saying Mimachas HaShabbos, like calling Pesach HaShabbos, and now it's the day after the Shabbos? Shabbos we do like that. Hayom yom rishon l'shabbos. Shavu hayu halavim omrim beveis hamikdash. Hayom yom sheni l'shabbos. Shavu hayu halavim omrim beveis hamikdash. That is how we build up to a seven. It's only when you get to the eight that you look back and you say, now I'm at a new kind of a one, right? So the Sirius Omer is telling you, mimachras hashabbos. It's Pesach is a kind of a Shabbos, and when you start the next day, you're starting that kind of a cycle of weeks that does that. So that's part of what we have to hear from it is this kind of building up, building up, day to day to day, aiming for a goal, right? When you say Yom Sheni L'Shabbos, it doesn't mean two days after Shabbos, it's Sheni L'Shabbos. It's the second day towards Shabbos. I'm building up to something. So Shavuos is like this uber Shabbos, you know, kind of thing. That's, but it's, it's a new level, because after you get to 49, you get to 50. And after you get to 70, you get to 8. And 8 is associated with this more Lamalam in Hateva. Is that also why you have your on Shabbos, that's interesting. Seven, right? That has to do, yeah, that's a Kedusha. Uh-huh. Kedusha is sevenness. In fact, because Shabbos is seven. But, but there is an eight. There is a kind of a thing of an eight that's something beyond. You have it with Hanukkah. You have it with Brismila. Well, maybe it's like Malava Malka can also be yeah. that connection between. Still a little bit of kedusha from Shabbos. Yeah, kind of easing. And that's a time for tchias hamesim, right? You have this malava malka that nourishes your Mm -hmm. your bone from which tchias hamesim comes back out the loose bone. Very likely, you know, Rav Hutner says he describes havdala as kiddush for the week. Mm. And you have kiddush for Shabbos. That's mikade Shabbos. Havdala is gives a kedusha to your week. It initiates the kedusha, which means that havdala takes the kedusha from Shabbos and seeks to infuse it forward into the week, which makes your day one, your Sunday, not the same Sunday it would have been if you hadn't had the Shabbos before it. Right, and also the tefillah that many people say, <coughs> before Havdal or after Havdal, I guess it depends whether you're Ashkenaz or Sephardi, the, um, where you're asking Hashem for all the good things for the week, yeah. for good health and for you know 
Right, so like coming out from that's interesting. I, I bet you're right. I bet Motzei Shabbos has some of that quality to it. Because it right. also is like an Atzeret. You know? Yeah, yeah, I bet it is. Right, don't leave yet kind of feeling.